The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. We'll be reading from the ESV this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. O great God, I pray you would pour out your spirit upon me that I might proclaim the treasure that is in this text and the power of the spirit. Pour out your spirit upon those who hear. Give them ears to hear. Give them hearts to receive the word with meekness. Compelled by your love, enabled by your grace, may we obey to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine that you are a father who has received a letter asking for your daughter's hand in marriage. Imagine receiving this letter, an actual letter that was written by Adoniram Judson to his future father-in-law as he prepared to be a missionary to India. How would you respond to this letter? I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, 
whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps even a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her sake and for yours? For the sake of perishing immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this? In hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory. With a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise. Which shall resound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. How would you respond to such a letter? Well, you could say yes, and you could do it with joy, with great joy, as if it was a privilege for your daughter to be married to such a man and such a prospect, if you embrace the truth in our passage this morning, if you would receive it with meekness, and when you realize that God has called us to be ambassadors for Christ. See, in this passage, we not only see that the love of Christ compels us to live for Him who died for us, but we also see that God has made us ambassadors for Christ with a new perspective, a new life, and a God-given mission. First, we see ambassadors for Christ have a new perspective. We have a new way of looking at people. In verse 16, it says, We regard no one according to the flesh. To regard someone according to the flesh is to look at people according to the world's values, according to the standards of the sinful, fallen, deceived world of lies in which we live. It's to see and value people as if this present physical life is all that matters. But when you come to Christ, when you see Christ in all His glory, you experience a radical transformation, not only in the way you see Christ, but in the way you see all other people as well. You realize the truth about people. This world is not all there is. You realize that it is appointed to man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You realize that every person you ever meet will either receive eternal damnation in hell or everlasting joy in heaven. There are no exceptions. C.S. Lewis understood this. He wrote in The Weight of Glory these words. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship. Or else, a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Imagine that. 
every person you have ever met will live for eternity, either suffering the horrors of hell or enjoying the presence of God. This new perspective changes your view of people in a radical way. It changes the way you regard people and it radically changes your interactions with people. See, ambassadors for Christ have a new perspective that gives them a burden for the lost because they know that if the lost die without Christ, they will suffer for eternity in hell. We have a new perspective. Well, second, ambassadors for Christ also have a new life. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you repent and believe in Christ, you are made new. You are given new life. And when you experience this new life, when you are made new, the old has passed away. So your old way of living For yourself, your old way of living for yourself has passed away. It has been crucified with Christ. You no longer live by your old worldly values. You now live for Christ and his glory. The old way of thinking according to the flesh has passed away. It has been crucified with Christ. You no longer judge people according to the world's godless materialistic standards. God has given you new eyes so that you can see all people including those still in the womb, as equally valuable, created in God's image for His glory. The old creation, dead in sin, that was alienated from God, has passed away. It has been crucified with Christ. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation, alive in Christ, a friend and beloved child of God. The great news is this miraculous transformation is open to anyone. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So ambassadors for Christ have a new perspective that gives them a burden for the lost. But we also have a new life that gives us great hope for the lost. Because we know that no matter how far lost someone may seem to be, this new life is available to anyone. God's grace and his mercy are wide enough to encompass anyone, even the worst, the chief of sinners, as Paul called himself. Isn't this amazing? Think about who Paul was before he came to know Christ. Before Christ, Paul was living a life that was zealous in its hatred of Christ, that was being poured out in pursuit of persecuting Christians. Paul didn't just reject Christ He wanted to put an end to Christians everywhere, not just in his own town, but all around the world. Listen to how the Bible describes him. He was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and bound them and committed them to prison. He persecuted followers of Christ to the death. He tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, he even traveled to foreign cities, seeking them out to persecute them. Saul, the persecutor, became Paul, the missionary. If there was hope for Paul, there is hope for anyone. If there is hope for you, there is hope for anyone. God can reach anyone, no matter how lost, how evil they are. Listen, is there somebody in your mind right now 
on your heart that you think there is no way that person will ever become a Christian? Or who is it on your mind or your heart that you most wish would come to know Christ? Who is that person? Listen, there is hope for that person. And the reason that there's hope for that person and for anyone is because salvation is the work of God Himself. Almighty, gracious God. It is His work, not yours. Verse 18 says, all this is from God. Salvation from start to finish, is the work of our gracious God. So if there was hope for Paul, there's hope for that person on your mind. If there's hope for you, there's hope for that person on your mind. The Bible says all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? When God says live, people live. All those he calls, he justifies. All those he justifies, he glorifies. No matter how lost in sin you think that person is, no matter how vehement they are in their rejection of Christ, no matter how deceived they are in their beliefs, no matter if they regard Christ only according to the flesh, No matter if they are confident in their own righteousness and see no need for Christ. Oh, beloved, there is hope for that person. For this room, right now, is filled with people who are like that, but are now new creations in Christ. Amen? And there may be a day. Oh, God, may there be a day. When those people who are on your hearts and minds will fill the empty seats in these pews and worship our Savior together with us. May it be so. What a glorious day that would be. But if it is to come, how? How will God make it possible? The text makes it clear that all this is possible only because of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. The word reconciled is used five times in three verses, 18, 19, and 20. Five times in one form or another. It's important for us to understand what that means. And simply put, I would say, reconciliation with God is when God takes those who were his enemies and transforms them into his beloved children. It's when God takes those who were his enemies And he transforms them into his beloved children. Verse 19 tells us, or describes reconciliation in this way. It says, it's when God no longer counts your trespasses, your sins against you. And don't miss how incredible this is. You have no right to reconciliation. You have no right to a relationship with God. You gave up that right. You forfeited that right when you rejected God in your sin. The only thing you deserve, the only thing you have earned, the only thing that would be fair would be for you to get eternal punishment in hell for your sins against the infinitely holy God. But amazingly, God graciously offers us reconciliation. God does not count your sins against you because he has counted them against Christ at the cross. He counted your God-ignoring, God-denying, God-hating sins against his God-embracing, God-exalting, God-loving, holy and righteous Son. 
God does not count your sins against you anymore. He's blotted them out. He will remember them no more. He's nailed them to the cross. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. Though your sins were like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses you from all sin. Verse 21 here is probably one of the best known passages in the Bible that talks about reconciliation. God tells us, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ took our sin and gave us his righteousness. John MacArthur describes it like this. Even though Jesus Christ never sinned, even though Jesus Christ never sinned, God treated him as if he personally committed every sin ever committed by every person who would ever believe and punished him for them all, though in reality he never committed a single one. God treats us as if we never did anything but the righteous deeds of Christ, while at the same time treating Christ as if he committed our sins. This is the reconciling work of Christ. We are no longer enemies, but beloved children of God. Well, Some of you here today have come weighed down by your sin. You are worn out. You are discouraged by your sin But if you are a child of God, if you have repented and come to Christ, you are forgiven. You are loved. Christ has taken that sin from you. You are righteous and holy in God's sight. Your sin is not a problem with God anymore. Don't let Satan beat you over the head with it. Don't let Pharisees in the church condemn you for it. Be encouraged by the words of J.C. Ryle. Let all who trust in Christ, take comfort in the thought that they build on a sure foundation. It is true that we are sinners, but Christ has borne our sins. It is true that we are poor, helpless debtors, but Christ has paid our debts. It is true that we deserve to be shut up forever in the prison of hell, but thanks be to God. Christ has paid a full and complete ransom for us. The door is wide open. The prisoners may go free. Hallelujah. Run to the cross. See Christ dying there for you. See him taking your sin away forever. See the empty tomb. See the risen Savior smiling on you, ready to embrace you. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He stands as your friend today, your advocate. He shows his wounded hands and he names you as his own. He is not ashamed to call you his brother, his sister. This is the reconciling work of Jesus Christ that's offered to you today. And this is what gives us hope for those who we think are beyond hope. Through the reconciling work of Christ, Anyone, anyone who comes to Christ can have all their sins forgiven. This is great news. Instead of being known as a sinner, you can be known as a child of God. Instead of being defined by your sin, you can be defined by his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Perhaps some of you are here today and you are regarding Christ only according to the flesh. I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation as He is offered in the Gospel. As we continue through this passage, what is utterly astounding is what the Bible says in verses 18, 19, and 20. In verse 18 it says, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, it says, God entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. And in verse 20, it says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As ambassadors for Christ, we have a God-given mission. Our mission is to take this message of reconciliation to those who need it. Because those who are alienated from God must hear this message or they will remain alienated from God for all eternity. Beloved, we have hope. And we have the message, which is the means by which this hope becomes a reality. And we have a God-given mission to take this message to those who are without hope, just as someone once did for us. Romans 10 tells us that when people hear this message, when they hear these words, when they hear this truth, when they hear about these facts from history, if they believe they will be saved, they will be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. They will go from being on their way to hell to being on their way to heaven. That is what happens when ambassadors for Christ carry out their God-given mission by faithfully proclaiming the message of reconciliation and when God makes things grow by the work of His Spirit, the lost are found and brought home. Those who knew nothing of Christ come to see Him in His glory and worship Him and rejoice in Him. Those who are facing eternal damnation now eagerly wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of their great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who were once not the people of God become the people of God. Those who did not know mercy receive mercy. And they too become ambassadors for Christ. And they declare the praises of the one who called them out of darkness into his wonderful light. Ambassadors for Christ have a God-given mission. We believe the Westminster Confession of Faith is one of the the best summaries of what the Bible teaches. And it has a chapter on the church. And it summarizes this by saying that God has given the church to the world for the gathering and perfecting of the saints. It's not just for the perfecting of the saints. It's for the gathering of the saints as well, to bring the lost home. We put this on our bulletin every week, the front of our bulletin. Why do we exist as a church? We exist To proclaim good news of faith in Christ by words of witness and deeds of mercy in Lancaster County and to all nations on earth. To be an ambassador for Christ is to share the concern of Jesus Christ for the lost. And to be committed in making known the message of reconciliation. We proclaim the truth about the only way that people can be saved. Isaiah says, There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. In Acts it says, Salvation is found in no one else, 
for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. God has entrusted to us the only message that can bring salvation. God's plan for the salvation of the lost, for the salvation of the nations, is that the gospel will advance through the spoken words of his people, through you, through us as a church. Everyone who knows Jesus Christ has been called by God to do this very thing. It's what God has given us to do. It is why we are on this planet. This is not just Paul's mission. It's not just the apostles' mission. It's not just my mission as one of your pastors. This is your God-given mission. Having been reconciled to God yourselves... You become ambassadors for Christ in this world. As an ambassador for Christ, you are now a messenger and a representative for God. So you speak not in your own name. You speak on behalf of God. You don't live for yourself. You live for Christ and His glory. Your whole duty, your whole responsibility is to represent God to those to whom you've been sent. So let me ask you a question. As an ambassador for Christ, are you giving an honest, a true representation to the world of God's love for sinners? I believe the Apostle Paul did. Have you read his prayer in Romans 9? In Romans 9, Paul's about to say something so radical, he has to tell the people beforehand that he's not lying. He has to preface it. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience spares me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That's Paul's heart. Reflecting the heart of Christ. Is that your heart? Is that the kind of passion and love you have for the lost, for those who do not know and love Jesus Christ? Beloved, I confess, that's not my heart. I pray God will give me that heart. That's one of the reasons I memorized that passage. Lord, give me your love for the lost. Could you wish yourself cut off from Christ for the sake of the lost? But isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you? Isn't that just what Jesus has done for you? He bore the wrath of God in your place. He was forsaken by his Father. He took your sin and was cut off so that you who were cut off could be brought near. Beloved, in your love for sinners, do they sense the overwhelming love of God for them? Jesus is known as a friend of sinners. Are you? Are we as a church known as a friend of sinners? Are we the kind of church that people who are known for their sin, who have a reputation for their sin, can come and they know when they come they'll be welcomed and they'll be loved? There may be some of you here today who are doing all you can to avoid sinners, though you are one yourself. But you want to keep yourself and your children as far away from sinners as possible. I have to ask you, where did you learn that? You did not learn it from this book. You did not learn it from your God. You certainly did not learn it from your Savior, Jesus Christ, who came for you. No. 
we learn that ungodly, Christ-denying attitude from our own selfish and sinful hearts. We learn it from Pharisees. Religious people who are confident of their own righteousness and look on everyone else with contempt. We learn it from people who Jesus called blind guides, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites. Is that who we want to represent to the world? Beloved, no, it is not. We are here to represent Jesus. We are ambassadors for Christ. When Jesus was with the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler rejected him to his face. And the Bible says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Bible says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient with us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, it says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. As ambassadors for Christ, may we tell the world the truth about God's love for them. Ambassadors for Christ have a new perspective that gives us a burden with urgency. Urgency. If people do not hear, they cannot believe. They will die in their sins. Ambassadors for Christ have new life that gives us hope. If anyone comes to Christ... They can be forgiven. And ambassadors for Christ have a God-given mission. We are working together with God to take this message to our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria and to the ends of the earth from near to far. So near we start in our own homes. What are you doing to be an ambassador for Christ in your own home? Fathers, what are you doing to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ to your children. And bringing them to church is a great start, but I would not stop there. Make time, make it a priority to declare God's praises and proclaim his truth before your children on a daily basis. And perhaps you don't know where to start. Today is a great day to start, especially if you have a child that's in kindergarten through sixth grade because they should be bringing one of these M&M booklets home. What a great opportunity to go through this as a family. To learn about God's heart for the nations. To declare his glory in your own home. If you don't have children that age, start small. Just read some of the Bible and pray together. Maybe you go through the Gospels bookmark as a family and just read through the Gospels this year. Or maybe you grab that Treasuring God's Truth in Your Heart list and say, we're going to just take a few minutes as a family every day and memorize God's Word and meditate on the Word of God. If you have older teens or you're adults, you don't have kids in the home anymore, I want to invite you to join me in reading through missionary biographies. We've set up something new on our website. On the homepage, you can click on it, missionary biographies, for us to join together as a church and read and just post things that we're learning for mutual encouragement and edification. It's hard work to do this in your home. It takes time, but it is worth it. Jesus Christ is worthy of your best time and your best efforts. This is your God-given mission. God's mission extends beyond your own home to your neighborhood. Do you realize one of the very reasons you live 
in the house that you do, in the neighborhood that you do, and so that you can be an ambassador to Christ to your neighbors. The reason you have the job you have, or go to the school you go to, or play on the team that you're on, or whatever, the reason that you are around the people you are around on a regular basis is so you can be an ambassador for Christ to those people. There's a great story in the Bible in Mark chapter 5. There's There's a multitude of great stories of people having encounters with Jesus. One of them is found in Mark chapter 5. When Jesus comes and he finds this man who's possessed by a legion of demons. Think about the kind of person you want to stay away from. This guy's life is miserable. And nobody can help him until Jesus comes. And Jesus casts out the demons and makes them new. And how does he respond? How would you respond if that happened to you? He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, no, you can't be with me. Why? What does he want him to do? He says, you go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. See, Jesus wasn't going to his neighborhood, but he wanted him to go to his neighborhood and tell him about Jesus. And that's what the guy did. And the Bible says all the people marveled. Some of our neighbors marvel. Jesus isn't going to our neighborhood in the flesh anymore. He sent us. May we tell our neighbors the good news of Jesus Christ. We can share this message of reconciliation because we have experienced it ourselves. Christ has set us free. So what are we doing to reach our neighbors? People we work with. People we go to school with. Friends in the neighborhood. Moms that live around the area. Do we pray for them? Do we serve them? Do we love them? Are we intentionally making time for them? I think we all should be like church planners in our own neighborhoods. Have you ever read a a letter from Matt and Jen Irvin or, or Dave and Julie, other church planners? These are normal people who have left America and moved across the country for the sole purpose of being an ambassador for Christ to the nations. And you read their letters and they do the same kinds of things we do. They go to the park with their kids. They go to the local stores. They coach teams. But in those activities, they are intentional. The people they meet, they're praying for. They're trying to build relationships with them so that they can share Christ with them. May we all do that wherever we live. You are an ambassador for Christ. God is making his appeal through you. Is the appeal you are making the kind of appeal that God would make? Well, finally, God's mission extends beyond our neighborhood to the nations. Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations. We are to be God's ambassadors to the nations. This year, the M&M Project is focusing on the 1040 window. That's the part of our world that is the least reached. There are over one billion people in the world today who have No access to the gospel. Absolutely none. No Bibles. No Christians. No gospel. No churches. No missionaries trying to reach them. They know nothing of Jesus Christ. They don't know anything about the message of reconciliation. Their sins are not forgiven. And unless someone goes, unless an ambassador of Christ goes, unless a messenger of Christ church goes and tells them they will perish in their sins. Who else will take this message to the nations? 
Only the ambassadors for Christ. What are you doing to be an ambassador of Christ to the nations? Some of you will go. And I'm praying some of our children will, through this M&M project and growing up at this church, will have a heart for the nations and will go. I'm praying this for my own kids, that they will go and tell people about Christ who have never heard that they might come to know Christ. Some of you will go. The rest of you will send. But if you're doing neither, then I pray the Holy Spirit will convict you and lead you to repent because we cannot ignore this God-given mission. Brothers and sisters, we need a sense of urgency. People are dying and going to hell and they've had no opportunity to hear of Christ. Even as I preach to you right now, people are dying and going to hell. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have the message that can lead to their salvation. Will we go and give it to them? May more people be like David and Julie, who've left this country, left their home, left their family, taken their two young children, gone to an area in the 1040 window. Why? So they could tell people about Jesus who've never heard. And some of those people are going to be in heaven someday. May we send in a manner worthy of God. If we do not go, may we send in a manner worthy of God. May we give sacrificially to make it possible for others to go. May we fervently and faithfully pray and encourage those who have gone. Some of you might remember last summer the the story of the Russian spies being found out and arrested and And if you read that story, you might have known that the FBI intercepted a message from Moscow to these spies. And this is what it said. It said, your education, your bank accounts, your car, your house, everything. All these serve one goal. Fulfill your main mission. Beloved, we are ambassadors for Christ not Moscow, for Christ. Everything we have, our education, our bank accounts, our cars, our homes, our time, our talents, our abilities, our children, everything has been given to us by God to fulfill our God-given mission. May we pour out our lives for the glory of God and for the sake of the lost, and may one day they join us around God's throne, worshiping their Savior. Amen. Well, God, we ask for your mercy and grace to enable us to have your heart for the lost. Enable us as a church to take the gospel to the people we see every day. May we do so from a heart of love and a life of service. For your glory, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.